Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Joe. Today, we're going to be talking about melatonin in COVID-19. Full disclaimer, guys, for the big nerds who like the randomized control trials, this is not going to be one of those discussions, okay? Data does not exist that's in any way, shape, or form robust. The doses that I'm going to be talking here are going to be completely made up, and everything is going to be in the show notes with regards to all the citations for everything I'm going to say. At the end of the day, I haven't done any research directly with melatonin in a lab or with patients, so everything that I'm saying is supported by data that's in the show notes. Go check that out if you have any questions. Now that I got that out of the way, I learned a lot about the benefits of melatonin while creating my metabolic resuscitation lectures. I found this all to be very intriguing. The first time I was exposed to these beneficial antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects was during a live lecture by Dr. Paul Merrick. As of late, there have been three articles that have been published within the last two to three months with regards to utilizing melatonin in patients with COVID-19. But before we get into the COVID-19 patients, here's some data about melatonin that you may not know, because I know I didn't know it, so this might be new to you. First of all, it has antioxidant properties. That includes the inhibition of nitric oxide synthetase, as well as suppression of tumor necrosis factor alpha production. It also prevents mitochondrial dysfunction and also prevents hepatic injury. You might be saying, man, I can't remember all this stuff. This is a podcast. You're supposed to be entertaining. But the truth is that this is what it does. Data also suggests that it prevents septic cardiomyopathy. It prevents sepsis-related brain dysfunction. It also has pleiotrophic effects, which means that it could, it could modulate the immune system. And what we all know and love melatonin for is for its circadian rhythm regulation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now let's think quickly about how we could apply this to COVID patients. In simplifying the concepts, melatonin, as I mentioned, have antioxidant as well as anti-inflammatory properties. These could potentially help us during the cytokine release syndrome phase or the cytokine storm phase of COVID as it can neutralize the generated free radicals. You see, over these past couple months that we've been dealing with COVID, we have learned that interleukin-6, interleukin-10, tumor necrosis factor alpha, other inflammatory cytokines and interleukins increase in these patients. That's the reason why we use these monoclonal antibodies, you know, like tocilizumab, to try to bring down the cytokine release syndrome. The levels of these interleukins tend to increase with severity. Now, there's also a theory that COVID may cause damage to the melatonin synthesis pathway. So that means if you're not making melatonin, then it will not be around to help, you know, make its anti-inflammatory and um, antioxidant properties to fight this infection off, or at least, you know, subdue it a bit. I'm not talking about this being a cure. Not, not at all. It's just possibly a tool that we could use. And as a matter of fact, on clinicaltrials.gov, somebody just did a melatonin study. They just uh, registered it. It hasn't started yet. And so the cited papers that I have included, you know, in the show notes state that while melatonin does not directly fight off the infection, it could help reduce the severity of infection. Anything we could, we could use to help 
you know, reduce the severity of this infection will be potentially beneficial. One of the other things that these papers state is that a potential factor as to why the elderly are hit with COVID harder than younger folks is that they do not produce as much endogenous melatonin. In my opinion, that, that's a little bit simplistic, but nonetheless is something that should be considered. Now comes the controversial part, dosing of melatonin for patients at risk of developing COVID. See, we're going to look at this in two different patient populations. Number one being the individuals with medical comorbidities, as well as the elderly people, and then healthcare workers. And again, I did not make these things up. They're from a paper that's cited in the show notes. But for both individuals with medical comorbidities, as well as the elderly, you know, the recommended things that one should do is the things we already know. Cover your mouth, wear a mask, hand washing, avoid traveling to areas that people have COVID. But you're here for the melatonin. And so what they recommend is between 3 to a maximum of 10 milligrams of melatonin by mouth 30 to 60 minutes before bedtime. That's fine. We could all, that's the regular over-the-counter stuff that we're used to seeing. But here's a recommendation they make for healthcare workers. They're saying that healthcare workers should take 40 milligrams of melatonin daily, preferably one hour before bedtime. That's a, that's a much larger dose than I've ever seen before, if I'm being quite frank, but stay tuned. The doses are going to get higher. Uh, when I posted this on Instagram, I had a very, I got a very favorable response. I think I got like 2,400 likes on it and it got shared. Let's see here. Cause I see it. It got shared 3,300 times. Um, it was, it was entertaining, but, um, but people were saying in the comments of how they get drowsiness as well as nightmares from this. So everybody's everybody's spectrum of adverse effects could could be different i will say that i personally take when i work night shifts and i've been up all night and i have to try to sleep during the day i do take five milligrams of melatonin myself and i personally do not get nightmares again that's not a medical recommendation i'm just telling you what i do if you thought the 40 milligrams a day prophylactically for healthcare workers was a big slug of melatonin hold on to your seats and again the title of the article that I'm using as a reference for this is titled Therapeutic Algorithm for Use of Melatonin in Patients with COVID-19. And they go ahead and continue with patients who are admitted to the hospital with symptoms suggestive of COVID-19 infections. If they're mildly, mildly symptomatic or on the floor, it states that they should receive 50 milligrams of melatonin twice a day for seven days. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's that's a big slug. And again, I might not know what I'm talking about because I've never used it before. But here we go. Let's talk about patients who are a little bit sicker, not the mildly symptomatic patients, but more so the patients who are admitted to the intensive care unit. And here, the dose that they're stating is 200 milligrams of melatonin twice a day for seven days. I'm going to pause here for a second to let you digest that. 200 milligrams of melatonin by mouth twice a day. Again, I'm not, not making this up. I'm reading it off of this paper that you can download and read yourself. You know, please double, please double check all my work. <laughs> well, some of the nurses, when I posted this, went ahead onto my Instagram and said, hey, well, perhaps this is like a like an alternative for analgol sedation. You know, you won't have to have your patient on propofol and fentanyl for sedation. <laughs> Instead, you just put them on melatonin 200 milligrams twice a day but you know all jokes aside we don't know if this could be possibly something that could benefit our patients and it's something that won't cause harm un unless you know somebody's having um, nightmares underneath but 
if it could help potentially uh, attenuate the symptoms and attenuate cytokine storm, then it's something we should think about. And that's why we're having this conversation right now about using melatonin in uh, patients who have COVID-19, because at the end of the day, we don't know. Continuing on, let's talk about the downsides of administering melatonin. Truth is, there aren't many. As I mentioned before, some people get nightmares. It's cheap. That's a good thing. Melatonin is sold as an over-the-counter supplement, which is a good thing. It's non-toxic over a wide range. So the authors of these papers cited that people have tolerated extremely high doses of melatonin in the past without any adverse effects, but some adverse effects that are noted include headache, fatigue, drowsiness. We don't know what this will be in patients with COVID. So the next question that you're thinking in the back of your mind is, hey, Eddie, you know, you're talking about potential benefits from this. Are we going to see any randomized controlled trial for this? And the truth is that I don't think we're going to be seeing anything anytime soon. I did mention that there is an outpatient study, excuse me, an outpatient study looking at melatonin for patients with COVID, but there's nothing inpatient. And the following is my personal opinion. We're too busy getting trying out everything else that we could in patients with COVID. That includes dexamethasone, these medications that are the CD24FC medications, the newest monoclonal antibody, remdesivir, and other antivirals. Collecting the data on these patients is quite messy when you start combining one study with the other. In a lot of cases, when you're studying, for example, the recent study with tocilizumab that ended up being a negative trial, what you find is that they don't allow you to use other different studies at the same time as that one. So the other thing that's needed is you need to, you need to perform the study at an academic institution that needs to put aside its current bodies of work to start randomizing these patients. I've already mentioned before on my Instagram and other social media accounts that NIH funding is, is uh, it goes to a certain amount of institutions and well, I'm not going to comment any further to not get myself into trouble. Also, I have previously mentioned using melatonin and sepsis, which is where Paul Merrick recommends considering this medication, something that theoretically has benefits. But if you mention this to other clinicians or pharmacists, they'll do a very good job of showing you how far they can roll their eyes back in their head. Could you imagine if you, if you try to mention doing a trial on this? A lot of people will make fun of you. And it's sad that that's the current state of affairs. In addition to that, can you imagine how many patients you'd have to enroll into a study of melatonin to adequately power it for an endpoint? I mean, I figured you'd have to have thousands of patients in that study. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. To wrap things up, today is the 30th of July of 2020. At this time, I'm currently off service and I won't be working day shifts for another week and a half. I have a couple of night shifts coming up. And I am not currently providing melatonin to my patients with COVID-19 in the intensive care unit. Now, giving this some thought and the fact that tocilizumab was an epic fail, it leaves us with only a few medications to try on patients. You know, we're giving patients steroids, we're using remdesivir when applicable, we're using plasma when applicable. 
uh, we're anticoagulating patients, which by the way, there's no randomized control trial data for those purists out there saying that we should do that. But overall, I think we're going to have to start thinking of thinking a little outside the box and start sprinkling these patients with medications that are safe, cost-effective, easily to obtain, such as melatonin. So I might just start sprinkling this into my regimens for patients. Am I going to be using the 400, excuse me, the 200 milligrams twice a day? Most likely not. Will I start using 40 milligrams every night? Uh, probably not, but at least try to, to do anything possible, 10 milligrams daily for my patients. Again, I'm not recommending that for you. I'm, I might start doing it in my own practice. But again, we need to do anything we can to try to save these patients. Thank you so much for your support and following along the podcast. I appreciate you very much staying through all the way to the end. I, I, can't, I can't say enough how, how happy I am with the response I've gotten from this. You guys are amazing. Thanks a lot. Bye.